Father, we just want to say thank you for your goodness to us, answering prayer, Lord, for bringing people to the services here at North Brooklyn, at Morris Park. Lord, we thank you for your work in hearts and lives. We thank you for answering our prayers. And Lord, we just thank you for your watch, care, and your protection over us. In your name we pray. Amen. Joshua chapter 22. And uh, actually, what what we did tonight is uh, Andrew asked me to take this chapter because... Uh, last fall, I preached at the National GIBF meeting, and uh, the sermon I preached was actually on this chapter, and it was really the basis, though I never actually preached this sermon, uh, to, to you here at Open Door, was the basis for the series that we started the first of the year on imitation uh, versus truth, truth versus imitation, and uh, the pattern here is basically set in Joshua 22. And and so we're just going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren as he promised them. Therefore now return ye and get you unto your tents and unto the land of your possessions, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. But be, but take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandment and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went unto their tent. Skip down, if you would, to verse 9. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go unto the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, whereof they were possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. And when they came into the borders of Jordan that are in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and half-tribe, and, sorry, and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a great altar to see to. And the children of Israel heard, saying, Behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan and the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. Skip down, if you would, to verse 21. Then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, he knoweth, And Israel, 
he shall know if it be in rebellion or if in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day, that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord, or if to offer thereon burnt offering or meat offering, or if to offer peace offerings thereon, let the Lord himself require it. And if we have not rather done it for the fear of this thing, saying, In time to come your children might speak unto our children, saying, What have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you, ye children of Reuben and children of Gad. Ye have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. Therefore we said, Let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be a witness between us and you and our generations after us that we might do the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings and with our sacrifices and with our peace offerings that your children may not say to our children in time to come, ye have no part in the Lord. Down to verse 30. And when Phinehas the priest and the princes of the congregation of the heads of Israel, which were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Massa spake, it pleased them. And Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest said unto the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, to this day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because you have not committed this trespass against the Lord. Now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And uh, verse 33, And the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God, and did not intend to go up after them, against them in battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed, for it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. Now, the story that we've read, we didn't read every verse, of course, and we encourage you to do that, was the fact that as the children, the the tribe of Reuben, tribe of Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh. They had stayed in the land of Canaan for uh, best we can understand, nearly five years from now, helping them to possess the land of Canaan, to drive out the Canaanites, fighting the battles that needed to be fought. And Joshua finally divided the rest of the land. And by the way, there was still much land to conquer. That will be dealt with in uh, those uh, latter verses there. But As we go through the book of Joshua, we find that the center of this chapter is an altar that is built by these two and a half tribes of Israel as they are departing from the land of Canaan to go to Gilead to cross the Jordan River. They build an altar. Now, Andrew is telling me as he was reading some of the commentaries that that, uh, several of them said this was a... Uh, bizarre and overreaction on the part of Israel to get in an armed camp and go to fight against these two and a half tribes. I want to challenge you. How much of you know your Bible better than the commentaries? 
You see, what was the penalty for worshiping a false god? What had God told the children of Israel at Jericho when one man had taken the things from Jericho that belonged in the treasury of the Lord and the Babylonian garment that should have been burned and destroyed, God said, I'm not going to be with you anymore as a nation unless you get rid of this sin from among you. So this was not an overreaction at all. This was a biblical reaction. But then, when the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh explained the situation, then Phineas the priest was happy. And all of Israel were pleased. We don't have to go to war. But let me ask you a question. Was it a good thing that happened? And uh, you can probably tell by the way I asked the question. The answer is no. Uh, and and we, I want to explore that because here is what the problem was. How many of you remember Joshua chapter 4? And spake unto the children of Israel, and he spake, Joshua spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their father in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? How many of you remember these stones? When they went through the Jordan River, by the way, it said here in, in, the, in verse 11 that it was in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. Guess what? It was very close to the same position that Joshua, five years before, had had the children of Israel set up those stones as a memorial that they had crossed the Jordan River. You see, they were supposed to go back and visit those original stones. The fathers were supposed to take the children back and say, we crossed Jordan River. And if you, were, if you noticed here... As they're presenting their arguments that the twelve tribes of Israel, you ten tribes, we know how you guys are, and you're going to say that we're not part of Israel. They left out the half-tribe of Manasseh. Didn't that kind of imply half-tribe of Manasseh, that there was another half of the tribe somewhere else? Hello? I, I want to challenge you as we look at this passage, to think about something here. You see, how many of you have ever picked up your Bible and said, I know what the Bible says about this, but this is my concern. This is what I'm worried about. And the Bible doesn't say a lot about this, and I'm really worried about this. How many of you have ever done that? Every one of us have, haven't we? Let me ask you a question. How many of you know your Bible history enough to know, did it ever become an issue that the ten and a half tribes on the west side of Jordan tried to excommunicate the two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan? Never happened. 
Never happened. In fact, under Jephthah in the book of Judges, there, there was a war where the uh, children of Ephraim had gotten mad at Jephthah because he didn't share the spoils of the war with them. And it was the people on the east side, Jephthah was in Gilead, killing the people that lived on the other side. So, do you see how ridiculous that is when we compare the thing they were worried about to the history of the children of Israel? It has no bearing whatsoever. It was not a real question. It was not a real fear. By the way... How many stones did Joshua set up at the original monument? I can't hold up that many fingers because I only have ten or twelve. How many stones were in the breastplate of the high priest? Uh, There were twelve. How many times were all the children of Israel, every man to appear at the tabernacle before God? Three times every year. How often were the children of Israel individually supposed to go to the tabernacle? Every time they committed a sin. You see, they were worried about something that was not even an issue if they would have only obeyed the words of God that they already had. I I like to call this sermon a paradigm shift. Now, what that is, is a paradigm is the pattern of which you do things, the pattern of which you operate on. And God had already set a pattern. If you go back to Joshua 4, he had told them to take 12 stones out of the middle of Jordan and set them up for a monument. And they were to take their children back. And they were to show them that they had crossed Jordan on dry ground. And these stones proved that. How many of you remember back in Deuteronomy chapter 11? Well, why don't we just go there. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 29. Let's, let's look at this for a moment. This was another thing that God had set up. And Deuteronomy 11:29 it says, "And it shall come to pass when the Lord thy God hath brought thee into the land whither thou goest to possess, that thou shalt put the blessing upon Mount Gerizim and the curse upon Mount Ebal. Are they not on the other side of Jordan, by the way, where the sun goeth down in the land of the Canaanites, which dwell in the in the champaign over against Gilgal, beside the plains of Morah? And then I want you to skip up to uh, uh, chapter 27 and verse 4 as Moses is giving final review before he dies. He tells the children of Israel, Therefore it shall be when ye be gone over Jordan that ye shall set up these stones which I command you this day in Mount Ebal, and thou shalt plaster them with plaster, and there shalt thou build an altar unto the Lord thy God, an altar of stones. Thou shalt not lift up any iron tool upon them, 
Thou shalt build an altar of the Lord thy God of whole stones, and thou shalt offer burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord thy God. And he goes on. Uh, verse 8, And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly. And they were to divide Israel. Verse 12, These shall stand to bless the people when you come over and enlist the tribes. And, uh, and, and, and verse 13, And these shall stand upon Mount Ebal to curse and enlist the tribes. And the Levites shall speak and say unto all the men of Israel, and they were to review all of the laws of God, and the people were to answer with a blessing for obedience and a cursing for disobedience. You see, the children of Israel did not have written copies of the, of the Bible that they could take with them into every home. And so God had made a plan. The three times in a year when all the men were to be there, they were supposed to read the law of God. When they went into the land of Israel, they were to make a permanent monument on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, promising and, and guaranteeing God's blessing for obedience and His cursing for disobedience. All of these things had already been done. But these... Two and a half tribes said, we're not worried about that. In fact, we really, what they were really saying is we really have no intentions of crossing Jordan every time that we should. And so we're going to make a monument here that we can see from our side of Jordan. And so we can kind of shortcut things. Now, they didn't say that out loud, and they never worded that in their explanation, because if they had, what would have happened to their beautiful altar that they built? It would have been torn down like it should have been. You see, we have a tendency as human beings to try to improve upon the Word of God. If you wonder why I'm such a stickler on what Bible version we use, why we're so careful with our music, why we order the services in the way that we do, is because there is a lesson here to be taught. We have no right to set a new standard by which we should be measured by. We have a duty to return to the original standards which God has set. Can we say amen to that? God had all of these things. It wasn't an evil thing to build this altar, Ed. The reasoning behind it wasn't totally terrible. They weren't trying to do false worship. But what they were doing was they were giving precedent over God's concerns to their concerns. Could I challenge you? That is the thesis. That is the primary topic of the book that has been written that you hear me condemn so many times. The Purpose Driven Life or the Purpose Driven Church. 
the primary thesis of those books is using the gospel, using the church, transforming the church of Jesus Christ into a service bureau that meets my needs. Can I challenge you? The church is not here to meet your needs. The church is here to provide a context for your Christianity, a place for you to serve Jesus Christ, a place for you to function in the body of Christ, which is the local assembly of the believers. And this is why the church is important. Sometimes we're reactionary. The Catholics have made so much of church. They can give your salvation. They can take it away. If you stop coming to church, man, you're going to be in purgatory forever. No, you're going to be there forever anyway because there ain't no such place as purgatory. It's called hell. And if you don't have salvation, that's where you're going to end up. But listen, we're supposed to serve God His way. Can you say amen to that? And what this did was it shifted the pattern. It moved the standard by which everything was measured. And so as Andrew finishes the book of Joshua, we're going to get to Joshua chapter 24. And Joshua is going to, instead of going back to Ebal and Mount Gerizim, where the words of God were already written in plaster on the stones, he's going to make a new one in Shiloh. Now, what happens when we get a repetition of things too much? We ignore it, don't we? What happened in the book of Judges? The children of Israel ignored God, didn't they? Do you think they would have had as easy a time ignoring God if they had followed the directions in the law and assembled at the tabernacle three times every year and read through the book of the, of the law as they should have? Do you think if every time they had committed uh, an infraction of the law of God that they had showed up at the tabernacle with the prescribed sacrifices and the things that God had said, that it would have reminded them if they had met regularly, all of the children of Israel regularly made the trips down to the Jordan, the crossing of the Jordan, and looked at those 12 stones and said, a hundred years ago, Joshua and the children of Israel crossed the, the, the Jordan River just like they did at the Red Sea. You see, that was the connection of these twelve stones as they were something physical to remind them of the great thing that God had done at the Red Sea without having going back to Egypt to revisit it. But Ed short-circuited all that stuff. And so what we have here is a pattern of substitution. And it's something that goes on constantly. I don't know how many times in a month we get some pamphlet, some advertisement, something here that says, 
We're here to help the local church. But you know what? They're there to help their own organization. They're not there to help the local church. They're there to promote their own, what, what we would call a para-church organization. Para means not the real thing, but kind of like unto it. I use the word fake because it's not church. And we have radio pastors and internet pastors now. And boy, if you want to find out anything, all you have to do is type into Google and you're going to get 1,500 web pages that will explain everything that's in the Bible. As your pastor, could I recommend, please don't do that. I have met too many people that have made shipwreck. Because here is the danger. Uh, I'll, I'll quote one of my Bible college professors. He said, here's the danger with the multiplicity of Bible versions. He says, you can keep checking different versions and different translations until you find one that agrees with you. Now, don't raise your hand if you've done that. Because that is, that is a temptation. We get some idea in our head, and this is where this thought comes from. Oh, that's your interpretation. Could I challenge you that when God inspired the men to write this book, that there's only one interpretation? There are some applications, and that's what we're doing here with this story, is we're taking the interpretation, we're taking the actual understanding of the events, and we're applying them to the story to see what happened. And then we can look at our modern day time, and we can see that this same pattern is repeating itself. The Bible college that I went to, when I showed up on campus in 1982... I didn't understand anything about the Bible version issue. I carried a new Schofield, which is basically a real poor imitation of the American Standard Version. Most of the changes in the text follow the 19-oh-whatever-it-was American Standard Version. And I carried that thing, and I thought I had the Bible. And in the notes, as I would read there, and I read all the notes because they were in my Bible, it said... Oh, this is a scribal error. There was no way that there were 50,000 people killed in this battle. Uh, there weren't that, the population wasn't that uh, great at that time. And, and you'd read this and it'd say, well, this is a transposition of, of, of Scripture here. The king really didn't reign at this time. This is a problem text. And then the other one, this word should... All of those things were in the notes. And man, I'll tell you what, I believed every one of them at that point, because it, it said so right there in my Bible. And I was immediately branded as an oddball, because I wasn't carrying one of these. But if I were to go to that same campus today carrying one of these, they'd laugh me off the campus. 
because they don't believe the King James Bible is anything but a translation for old fuddy-duddies who hate modern and easy words. You can't relate to people like that. When I was a student at my Bible college, they spent a whole week teaching on the compromise and the evils of the contemporary Christian music movement. And at that time, 1983, 84, Amy Grant and Michael Card and, uh, oh, I can't remember some of the other, I don't remember the names, but those were the big names in contemporary Christian music. Steve Green. Uh, these were the founders of what has become the contemporary Christian music movement. And they were named and condemned. Today, they don't have a chapel service on the campus of Baptist Bible College in Springfield, Missouri, without a real live rock and roll band warming up the crowd before they start a chapel service. Now, what led to the paradigm shift? What led to the entire reversal of what once was taught as doctrine and now is totally repudiated? I got a letter from a missions pastor years ago. It says, we were wrong when we taught separation from the world. We were wrong when we taught that you should be separate from other religions. And he ended it with this quote. He says, we now have two books in our church, the Purpose Driven Life and our King James Bible. In that order. He said, whoa. A while later, I heard a story. They lost 500 members from that church on one Sunday because the church across town had gotten a better rock band than they had. Literally. This kind of stuff happens today in churches that use the name Independent Fundamental Baptist. The pattern was the altar ed, Joshua chapter 22. We're concerned about reaching people. Well, so are we. But if you don't get saved from anything, are you saved? If everything stays the same, did Jesus really move in? We've got to stop and we've got to examine these things. We want... Not to become like the Amish where we draw a line and say, this is the standard of righteousness. If you want to know the year, I believe it was 1828. What was good in 1828 is righteous and what wasn't, it didn't exist, is evil. But isn't it amazing? How many of you have ever been to a Greyhound bus terminal and see the Amish people walking all over the place? They won't own a car, but they'll get a bus ticket and go somewhere on the bus. Uh, 
They won't have electricity in their house. But they'll have a light bulb in the barn in case one of the cows gets sick in the middle of the night. And they get into this whole realm of, well, this is kind of right, but this is kind of wrong. And this is, it reminds me of um, when we moved into this building. And I often joke about all the lights being on timers. And I mean, it, it was crazy. Well, the reason why it was so was because the Bible says, On the Sabbath day, thou shalt not kindle a fire. Do you realize that turning on a light bulb kindles a fire? You're moving electricity through the lines. And so what they did was they hired an electrician to come in and put everything on a timer. So they weren't turning on the lights. Someone else was. And they were free. Uh, but if you hire someone to kill someone for you, are you not guilty of murder? <laughs> you see, that's how that works. You see, it pleased Phineas because they wouldn't have to fight a war to solve this problem. When if they had gone over there and tore down that altar called Ed, they would have had a war on their hands. And yet, that's what should have happened. They should have reminded them, wait a minute, if you'll just come over here a little bit, we'll clear away the weeds that have grown up in the last five years. We have Joshua's original stones right here. And if you would only travel back to Mount Gerizim, we already have an altar and we already have the words of God written plainly that you would know what will bring a curse in your life and what will bring a blessing in your life. And we have the tabernacle here. And even the garment of the high priest has 12 stones on it. How in the world can you present this argument that you might be excluded from Israel when we have all of these things? that prove that you belong in Israel. And so I want to challenge you tonight as we go through Joshua chapter 22 here that we refuse to change the standard of God's measuring. Someone once said, but if you really believe in the original, then you'll go back to the original Greek and and in Hebrew. And, yeah, I do go back to the original Greek and Hebrew. It's just translated in English in this Bible right here. Amen? Uh, and we will, after we finish Philippians, uh, pray for me, making a decision whether we should do the wine in the Bible series or get out the Bible, uh, our Bible history series again, where our Bible came from. I want to get them both done this year. Uh, if there's enough Thursday nights in the year to do that. And uh, maybe we'll do one on Monday, uh, Sunday or something. We'll just pray about that as we do that. But we want to be careful. The idolatry was not overt. It wasn't out on the front. It wasn't something that you could point your finger at and say, Oh, that's against God's Word. But everything about it was against God's Word, now wasn't it? 
It was denying things that were clearly already stated in the Bible. And so, I want us to be careful that as a church, we learn from Joshua chapter 22. This was a good time in the history of Israel. The massive hostilities and, and, and driving out the Canaanites, they had been reduced to little pockets here and there. The land of Israel was under their control, and yet by the time we get to Judges chapter 2, we have the angel of the Lord showing up saying, you didn't drive them out, they're not going to be driven out. You see, there was still much work to do. But they were too worried about their questions and their feelings instead of being worried about God's questions and God's feelings. And you'll find out that this Bible will answer every question that needs to be answered. It will give you direction and decision in in everything that you need to make a choice in. What we want to do is stick with the Word of God. That's why we're particular about Bible. That's why we're particular about baptism. That's why we're particular about church membership. That's why we're particular about church. You see, it was... The Apostle Paul had told the Corinthians, Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And then one of the sweetest and most precious promises in all the Bible, And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God Almighty. I'll tell you what. I want that verse applied to my life. How about you? That means we've got to go back to the old standard. Just because the world says it's bad doesn't mean the opposite is good. What we have to do is measure by God's Word. He's already given us. Let's just turn to Second Peter and we'll be done. Second Peter chapter 1. verse, you know, a verse preached on often, but it's easy for us to skip over. Verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us. What's that next word? All. All things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. How many of you have a problem understanding that that's talking about Jesus? Jesus is the one that has called us to glory and to virtue. It's His power hath given unto us 
all things that pertain unto life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him. You see, the problem is not how much we know about the Bible, or it's, it's how well we know Jesus. You know, you could know all about a person and never know the person. And what we need to do is we need to get to know Jesus. How do you do that? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen? If you'll walk with Jesus, you'll get to know Him. He wants to know you. He wants you to know Him. And Peter was writing this verse well before 70 A.D. And it says, All things are given unto you that pertain unto life and to godliness. If you have life and godliness, do you have any other needs? Actually, you don't. But we worry about so many other things. And that's what led the children of Israel to build the altar ed, which took their attention off the things that God had already given them and moved them into the path that would lead them to idolatry. All God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we ask that you would help us as a church to be utterly determined not to be satisfied with an ed when we already have everything that we need. Lord, that we would go back and we would study your word and we would go back and we would get to know who Jesus is and we would just follow the directions that you've already given us. Lord, we pray that you would keep us from taking liberty to innovate and give us a desire to be obedient. Before we finish that prayer, if you'd like to slip out and spend some time at the altar, the altar's open. Then we'll get into our prayer time tonight. Just a moment before we get started.